Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. lovely fall is here it's a little brisk here in the zendo danny's uh, wrapped up uh, like an eskimo <laughs> a bit our new manjusri statue doesn't seem to mind the cold uh we continue um this time with uh reflections on the tenzo kyokun by master dogen the instructions for the cook but uh, joining us today, we have folks who do many things besides cooking for their living. We have a laboratory researcher. We have uh, computer folks. We have a submariner, right? We have teachers. We have folks who are translators writers, store clerks, all kinds of folks. Well, this is for all of you, not just for the cook. Now, I want you to, for a moment, just sit back and let's just jump back to uh, about uh, 800 years ago, almost exactly the year 1223. Dogen is uh, 23 years old. And... Uh, He's all gung-ho, actually a word that came from Chinese, gung-ho. Uh, he's all excited, finally get to China. He's made a crossing on a ship, not so easy in those days to book passage, rough weather. He uh, had to arrange financing, and the ship arrives. He and his mentor, Miozen, Miozen apparently has all his paperwork in order, has made arrangements to go to a certain monastery, and Miozen goes off, leaving Dogen on the boat. Because apparently Dogen was an illegal immigrant and did not have all his paperwork in order. That's the best guess what happened. But whatever happened, Dogen was stuck in port on that boat. They wouldn't let him off the boat. Uh, for several weeks. Perhaps it was by choice. Perhaps he was waiting for something. But uh, I think there was something that uh, Dogen forgot his passport, something. So he's sitting there. But fortunately, it became an opportunity for one of the great stories in the Tenzo Kyokun. Last month, we, we closed with um, Dogen meeting one Tenzo who, if you remember, was in the hot sun. And uh, Dogen said, fellow, why, why are you doing this? And why are you doing it now in the hot sun, drying those mushrooms? And the fellow said, young man, 
You obviously don't understand Zen practice. Not now when. And uh, this time he meets another Tenzo while he's waiting on the ship. Let me read that. In May of 1223, I was staying aboard the ship at Chingyuan Harbor. Once I was speaking with the captain when a monk about 60 years of age, quite old back then, since I'm 58, I'll say it's quite young now, came aboard to buy mushrooms from the ship's Japanese merchants. I asked him to have tea with me and asked where he was from. He was the Tenzo from Ayuwangshan Monastery, one of the big monasteries in that area, very famous. Later, I said, after they had had their tea, he, I said, as we have had the unexpected opportunity to meet and talk like this today, I would like you to stay a while longer and allow me to offer Zen Master Tenzo a meal. He responded, oh, I'm sorry, but I just can't. If I'm not there to prepare tomorrow's meal, it won't go well. Dogen responded, but surely someone else in the monastery knows how to cook. If you're not there, it can't make that much difference to everyone. The cook said, I took up this position in my later years. It is this old man's pursuit of the way. How could I hand it over to others? Besides, when I came, I did not ask to stay overnight. I again asked the cook, you are venerable in years. Why, do, why don't you sit in meditation to pursue the way or contemplate the words of the ancients? Why don't you sit Zazen all the time or study? And, you know, imagine Dogen, he had come to China and he thought, I'm going to find the real Zen, which I'm going to sit Zazen. You know, we, we get these folks too who think it was Zen. I'm going to sit Zazen. All the, these other things are extra. All these other practices and book study and Manjusri on the altar. I had a fellow say, you know, oh, your altar is beautiful and Japanese altars are beautiful, but so cluttered. You know, the real altar is an empty altar. That's real Zen, you know, empty. And I said, it is an empty altar. Can't you see? The emptiness is right there. Doesn't matter what I put there. Even a few weeks ago, I put you know who. It was still empty. Still Buddha. Still beautiful. That... Uh, Statue perhaps is a little more attractive than the other rather disturbing image we had a while back. You know who I mean. I've gotten in a little trouble on the internet for that, you know. You know, some people said it was, that's not Buddha. Other people said it was just a kind of a stunt. And I said, no, oh, you have to realize the beautiful here and that. It's the same, and it's the empty altar, you see. Anyway, getting back to the story, why don't you just uh, study the words of the ancients and study koans and, and sit zazen? It is troublesome being a cook. All you do is labor. What good is that? And the cook laughed. Ha, 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 ha. My good man from a foreign country, you do not yet understand pursuit of the way, and you do not yet know about written words or the real koan. 
you see. So I get folks here, one folk fellow said, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't been that active uh, this month. We've had all kinds of things at home. The washing machine broke, and I was surprised how much time that took, and problems at work, and fell down, and I hurt my leg. And other folks say, oh, I can't get to Zazen today. You know, we have a lot of folks maybe would want to be here today, but they're stuck at work, you know. Or you, you know, you're, you're in your laboratory, and, oh, I wish I could be here at the Zendo just sitting. You are in the Zendo when you are at work or when the washing machine breaks or where you are now. Or even on Strong Waters there used to be a submariner on his submarine if he had the right attitude. This is the Zendo, you see. This is the practice. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sit Zazen. We do to help us realize this. But everything you do during the day is a study of the koans, a study of the Tenzo Kyokun, sitting Zazen, even if you're working with mice and test tubes in your laboratory or working with the computer, whatever you're doing. It's just your attitude right here, he said, for our podcast listeners pointing to his head between his ears right here. This is where you make the sacred space the empty space. Well, actually, my head is pretty empty. But it's where you make your zazen. It's not a matter of only sitting. That doesn't mean, by the way, that every moment you're doing your work in the laboratory, you have to be in the sacred space. Some people said, oh, I want to be mindful 24 hours a day. I always want to be have that zen, shikantaza mind, no matter what I'm doing. And I say, I would, well, I, I don't even know if that's healthy. I couldn't function with zazen mind all the time. I think that's a big misunderstanding about what it is to do our practice. But sometimes during your busy day, shikantaza, with a test tube in your hand, with a computer mouse in your hand, with your pencil or your whatever your work is, if you're an auto mechanic with your wrench in your hand. Take a moment, breathe. This is it. Then get back to fixing the car or feeding the mice, whatever you're doing. I'll talk about that more in a bit, but I, I don't think it's a matter of you have to be in Zen mind all the time, but sometimes realize that there's no getting away from this. This is here, there, and everywhere. Anyway, let's continue. In July of the same year, I was staying at uh, Tian Tangshan Monastery when the same Tenzo of Uwangshan came to see me and said, after the summer training period, their Ango is over, I'm going to retire as Tenzo and go back to my native region. I heard from a fellow monk that you were here, and so I came to see you and to see how you were making out. That's very nice of him. All these monasteries were in the same general area, but that was still quite a trip for him to come. I was overjoyed. I served him tea as we sat down to talk. When I brought up our discussion on the ship about words and practice, the Tenzo said, if you want to understand words, Zen words, koans, books, sutras, if you want to understand words, you must look into what words are. 
If you want to practice, you must understand what practice is. Speaking of the tea, oh, ah, ah, Mina, please, the tea, the tea. Please, please bring it. Speaking of the tea, here's our Tenzo, my wife, Mina. Oh, it's not going to fit? Oh, it's just going to fit? Wait, wait, don't hit the microphone, man. You'll knock us off. There you go. Thank you, Mina. Just perfect timing as the Dogen was having his tea. We had the tea. All right, good. Okay, so where were we? So um, if you want to understand words, you must look into what words are. If you want to practice, you must understand what practice is. And I asked, what are words? The Tenzo said, one, two, three, four, five. Why can't these guys just ever say anything straight? Why do they always have to talk in some secret code here? What are words? The Tenzo said, one, two, three, four, five. I asked again, what is practice? The Tenzo said, everywhere, nothing is hidden. That's a little easier to get, maybe. Please, have, enjoy your tea. What could that possibly mean? Later, I found a verse that ancient master Shui Do wrote for a disciple many centuries earlier. One, seven, three, five, what you search for cannot be grasped. As the night deepens, the moon brightens over the ocean. The black dragon's jewel is found in every wave. Looking for the moon, it is here in this wave and the next. So what could this be? It's wonderful. I can come to you and seem so wise because of something that Master Dogen didn't have. He had an encyclopedic memory so he could remember things. I, I have Google, you see. So it makes me come to you and seem so smart, you see. I can say things. So I, of course, I said, I wonder what other commentators have said about. But basically, this is the point, which I think makes a lot of sense. I always talk about the emptiness as the wholeness and the world of separation. Of this and that and you and me and up and down of one, two, three, four, five things, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a million, billion things of this universe. That's what he means. What are words? Words are what we use to try to explain this world of one thing and two things and three things and all things. That is everything. Let's see. But it's also being the cook or the researcher, or the computer expert. What numbers do you deal with every day? I have to give three of this to the two mice. I have to mix this in five parts into seven parts, right? The computer guy, it's all zeros and ones and twos and numbers. Calculating your submarine, strong waters, right? Your depth, your direction is all numbers. 
We deal in numbers. We deal in a world of things. I'm a translator. I deal in words, separate words, one word, two words, three words. What are words? Words are describing all the separate things, one, two, three, four, five. And what is our practice? Everywhere. Nothing about this is hidden. It's not hidden in your laboratory. It's not hidden in the room where you're sitting, Onkai. It's not hitting on our, hidden on our altar as filled with things as it is, flowers and pictures and statues. It's not hidden. It's not even hidden in my words, which are just making this hard to understand. Right? It's just here. Look. Listen. It's much clearer than the one, two, three, four, five I'm saying. Listen. So then there's this old poem, which Dogen apparently pulled up on Google. Uh, 1735. What you search for cannot be grasped. It's not a thing you can reach. It's everywhere. For our podcast listeners, reaching into the air, trying to grab it. As the night deepens, the moon brightens over the ocean. The black dragon's jewel is found in every wave. This is also a traditional image for the wholeness that comes into the relative. The moon is the wholeness. And the light of the moon, when it's seen on the waves of the ocean, did you ever notice how it breaks into pieces? On every wave, there's a little bit of moon over there, sparkling over there, sparkling over here, like a jewel, like the dragon's jewel. You see. How many pieces does it break into? One, seven, three, five, but it's all the one moon. You understand? Where in this room is the one moon? Where in your room where you're sitting there, Shingen, is the one moon? Look around. It's over there with the one and those three and the seven and the five. It is found in every wave, says the poem. Looking for the wave? No, oh, sorry. Looking for the moon, says the poem. It is here in this wave and in the next. See, not so mysterious. Very clear. Most of these Zen folks are usually talking about this relationship of the wholeness, the emptiness, coming into all the broken pieces of our lives. Some of them sharp and painful. Some of them round and smooth. But the moon is reflected in all of them. Listen. Can you grab it? I'll grab it here. For our podcast listeners, he grabs his stick. It's right here. Here, listen. See? So then Dogen said, before I knew one, two, three, four, five. Now I know six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Which I think is just Dogen saying before that, before I had half a picture, now I get the whole thing. Now I understand. 
what he was talking about. Monks, you and those to follow must understand practice and words through this and from that. Because practice is in this and it's in that, whatever your day is. When you do this, go to the store, that's your practice. When you do that, go to the doctor, that's your practice. Exert yourself in this way and your practice will practice. Exert yourself in this way and you will practice the single true taste of Zen beyond words, undivided into the poisonous five flavors. That means our divided thinking, when we live as divided, separate people in this world, there are five poisons, which he calls here because it's about to cook the five poisonous flavors, which are what we always talk about here. Excess desire, anger, divided thinking. Those are the basic three, plus they add two here, which are really kind of come from those, pride and jealousy you know, egotism and jealousy, okay? So he's saying if you taste the wholeness, it frees you from excess desire, right? Because you feel full and complete from anger, from divided thinking. Then you will be able to prepare food for the monastic community properly. And then you will be able to do your work properly, when you can taste in all the one, two, three, four, five of your laboratory or your office or your shop, one, two, three, four, five is the shining moon. It will free you from your anger, your feeling of lack, your resentment and broken thinking, comparisons and pride and jealousy, feeling something's missing. Okay, so try that next time when you go to work. You don't have to do it all the time, as I said. I can't do it all the time. Usually I'm just doing my job like everybody else, man, trying to meet the deadline. I got to go. I can't be Zen now. Time is money, right? But every day, 101 times, I'm going to say this about myself. I do do this 101 times without a plan. I just say, Zen mind now, and it just comes. I could be eating a donut. I could be waiting at a stoplight, listening to a podcast. I could be stubbing my toe on a rock. I could be anything. Suddenly I say, let's just shit on tiles of this for a moment. And it changes everything. Changes everything. Actually, it changes nothing because the situation is still the same. Same donut, same stub toe, same traffic light, same problem at work. But it instantly changes everything because the one, two, three, four, five becomes the shining moon and the five poisons turn to sweetness. Okay. That's what I recommend to you. You don't have to do it 24-7, just uh, a few times a day. Okay. Uh, but, oh, time is money. We're, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here. I got to get going. We got a lot to cover. This is the second half of our talk, by the way. Those who didn't uh, catch it last month, you can go back. You, you don't have to take it in order. We have our podcast, The Miracle of uh, Modern Technology. You can catch part one of the Tenzo Kyokun from last month. <coughs> Dogen says, even if you become the abbot of a monastery, you should have the same understanding. 
The Zen monastic standards state, prepare each meal with each detail kept clear so that there will be enough. Make sure that the four offerings of food, clothing, bedding, and medicine are adequate, just as the generous one offered the Buddha, offered to his disciples the merit of 20 years of his lifetime. We ourselves live today within the light of that gift because the energy of even a white hair between his brows is inexhaustible. The image of a Buddha, there was like a light that emanated from a white hair. I've got some white hairs here because I just forgot to shave this morning. But uh, in other words, getting back to practice here, your job, you know, make sure you got enough supplies, make sure the inventory is done, make sure you're on schedule, make sure, you know, you got what you need. You got to be practical here too. You can't just be, you know, all Zen. You got to make sure you got enough food, clothing, bedding, and medicine for all those monks who are in your charge. You have staff under your supervision. Right? You're responsible for them. Guess what? That's your practice. Okay. Next, in preparing food, it is essential to be sincere and to respect each ingredient, regardless of how coarse or fine it is. There is the example of the old woman who gained great merit through offering water in which she had rinsed the rice to the thus come one, the Buddha. In other words, again, this Tenzo Kyoku emphasizes if life hands you plump ripe tomatoes make a wonderful soup and if it hands you bitter greens make a wonderful soup of bitter greens meaning if your life hands you cake health and youth maybe the stock market went up for you that day whatever you're doing i don't give stock advice here but you get my point uh that's your life. And if one day you're down to your last penny and not so healthy and uh, things are not going so well for you, make a rich soup with that. Don't only want to win and to have human success. Realize that life is the soup we make with what it hands us. So this old woman, she didn't have a lot. All she had, literally, she was a poor woman. She had the the water left from when she had cleaned the rice. And you could use it for something. I think the, the monks might use it to starch their robe. I'm not sure what they would use the water for. But she gave the water to the Buddha, not as like an insult, meaning that this is what I have. And there are other stories here about a, a young boy who was playing. He, he only had some dirt. He was playing as, as his toy. He handed it to the Buddha. Someone handed, we'll see, a broken pot lid. King Ashoka was the king and he was down on his luck. He had lost everything on his deathbed. He only had a, a, a pit of a fruit. He gave it with all sincerity. And King Ashoka, 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 one of the great Buddhist kings, creating roots of wholesomeness through offering half a mango, mango to a monastery as he lay dying because that's all he had. Even the grandest offering to the Buddha, if insincere, is worth less than the smallest sincere offering in bringing about a connection with awakening. This is how human beings should conduct themselves. In other words, whatever you do, if you're sincere and you're good intentioned about it, it's an offering. It doesn't literally have to be money to the Buddha. 
Just if you're helping people in your life as a bodhisattva or trying to do your job with sincerity, it's an offering. If you're kind to someone and all you have, you give with a good heart. It's an offering. Let me continue. A rich buttery soup is not better as such than a broth of crude wild herbs. In handling and preparing wild herbs, do so as you would the ingredients for a rich feast, wholeheartedly, sincerely, clearly. When you serve the monastic assembly, they and you should taste only the flavor of the ocean of reality, the ocean of unobscured awake awareness. Not whether or not the soup is creamy or made only of wild, bitter herbs. In nourishing the seeds of living in the way, rich food and wild grass are not separate. There is an old saying, the mouth of a monk is like a furnace. Furnace. Bear this in mind. This is a traditional image that a fiery furnace doesn't protest what you put in there. You can put in some riches, you can put in money, you can put in uh, trash, you could put in a bomb. Well, it'll blow up the furnace if you do that. But the furnace does not protest to whatever fuel you put in there. So the mouth of a monk in eating is like a furnace. We do our Oriochi meal with Shugen here every month or so. You eat with what is ever in your bowl. I just saw a wonderful documentary about the monks literally in China, literally going door to door and knocking. And the people would bring out their food. And some of the people would say they were poor people. And they'd say, all we have is the rice from last night. You don't want that. It's all, you know. It's hard. It's, give it to me. We'll take it. Thank you. Oh, I have a lovely piece of cake. Oh, put the cake in the bowl. Oh, we have some. These are okay, but they're getting a little old. These vet, We'll take it. Thank you. You're so generous. So from what I saw, they don't quite mix it all together, but they kind of take the beautiful cake and the hard vegetables and the, the, the hard rice, and they kind of divide it up, and the monks just eat it. Beautiful cake, cake, crunchy rice, bitter vegetable. Their mouths are like furnaces. It's a beautiful practice. The modern version is uh, the street retreat with Bernie Glassman does. I don't know if they do this all the time, but they have done dumpster diving, which sounds like terrible. They, try, they don't eat unhealthy food. What they've discovered is in places like New York, the best restaurants with the greatest chefs from the Michelin Guide put out their food that just didn't work that night. You, you know, Or you go to the grocery store. It's, the can is just one day old. They put it out there. They're throwing out the bakery, how much they bake all this extra bread. They throw it out. You go in the dumpster, beautiful, fresh food. We're so wasteful. And they take it as part of their retreat. Because their mouths are like furnaces, you see. It's not unhealthy. It's not, they're not taking something to get food poisoning. But how wasteful we are. Okay. Do not discriminate between the faults or virtues of the monks or whether they are senior or junior. I like this one because just in the workplace, we all got the complaint about that guy who drives us crazy or the boss 
Oh, he's a wonderful boss. But that other boss, oh, that guy, I've heard you. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe someone's listening. She never says that. She loves all her coworkers and bosses. Danny always tells me, and I'm sure all of you do too. But, you know, we all work in places where that guy drives me crazy. Oh, no, no, no. Of course, this is human relations, but here, Dogen is saying, treat them all as Buddha. Treat them all as Buddha. Of course, in your heart, you know that guy's a pain in the neck, and you got to deal with it. And that guy is going to be trouble. You got to watch him. Of course, on a practical level, one, two, three, four, five, you got to do that. But in the grand scheme of things, also rec recognize that inside, they're all Buddha. So Dogen says, do not discriminate between the faults or virtues of the monks or whether they are senior or junior. You do not even know where you stand, so how can you put others into categories? Judging others from within the boundaries of your own opinions, how could you be anything other than wrong? Although there are differences between seniors and juniors, all are equally members of the assembly. Those who had many faults yesterday may correct and clear, and clear them today. Who can judge sacred from common? Okay. But if you read other sections of the Shobo Genzo in his other writings, he was a tough manager. He kicked people out of the monastery sometimes for really breaking a rule. He, you know, would complain about his monks. He's talking on one level here. You got to deal with these people. And they have to deal with you too, believe me. I'm no easy person, I think, to work with sometimes for other people. Maybe I drive them crazy. Not you, Shingen, right? I'm just great, right? Never cause you a problem, headache, right? Okay. But um, always see them too beyond that, okay? Next. When we train in any of the offices of the monastery, they're not just the cook, there's the accountants. They have to have an accountant, the inventory guy, the manager, the guest relations guy. There's aspects, they're always dealing with visitors, right? When we train in any of the offices of the monastery, we should do so with a joyful heart, a motherly heart, and a vast heart. These are the three hearts. I'll read this quickly. A joyful heart rejoices and recognizes meaning. You should consider that, you, that were you to be born in the realm of the shining beings, you would be absorbed in indulgence with the qualities of that realm so that you would not rouse the recognition of uncovering the way and, and so have no opportunity to practice. What this is talking about is in traditional views of rebirth, you could be born as a god where everything's cotton candy and you get all your wishes. And from a Buddhist view, it's actually not a good thing. It's better to be human. They're so content and happy that they can't practice. You need the hardships of life to have something to practice with. And if you're in hell too, you're so absorbed with your hate and anger and jealousy, you can't practice too. To be human is to be right on that razor's edge, that cutting edge, you see. So that um, if you were in heaven there, how could you use cooking as an offering to the three jewels? This life we live is a life of rejoicing. This body is a body of joy which can be used to present offerings to the three jewels, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. 
It arises through the merits of eons, and using it thus, its merits extend endlessly. I hope that you will work and cook in this way, using this human body, this body, which is the fruition of thousands of lifetimes and births, to create limitless benefit for numberless beings. To understand this opportunity is a joyous heart, because even if you have been born a ruler of the world, the merit of your actions would merely disperse like foam, like sparks. You know, it's all going to go off. Anything we do here is just going to go off into the cosmos someday. You know, it has all the meaning in the world right now. And whether you believe in literal rebirth of thousands and thousands of countless lives, you've had them all your life. You're reborn constantly. Whatever happened when you were a child or older or a teenager or yesterday or five minutes ago, your past lives begin from now. And you have this human body this week. You, how you use it, use it in a good way. If you were the richest person in the world, the king, it might actually keep you from doing what you can do, being in that middle place where you are right now. Okay? Uh, human beings, middle class on the rebirth scale. It's good to be. Not too rich, not too poor. Just right. Okay? In, in spirituality. Next, a motherly heart, sometimes called a grandmotherly heart is a heart which maintains the three jewels as a parent cares for a child. A parent raises a child with deep love, regardless of poverty or difficulties. Their hearts cannot be understood by another. Only a parent can understand it. You know, if their parent has no food and the child's hungry, the parent still gives the food to the child. The most, most good parents would do that. A parent protects their child from heat or cold before worrying about whether they themselves are hot or cold. This kind of care can only be understood by those who have given rise to it and realized only by those who practice it. This brought to its fullest is how you must care for water and rice, as though they were your own children, written by a man who, as far as we know, had no children. This is not about literal children. He cared for his monks in this way, as his family. And you have people in your life, whether you have children who are children or children who don't, you have people in your life, in your office, in, in, in your family, care for them in this way. You know, it doesn't say necessarily you have to starve yourself, but you take care of others and you, you take care of yourself too. And then vast heart. Vast heart is like a great expanse of ocean or a towering mountain. It views everything from the most inclusive and broad perspective. This vast heart does not regard a gram as too light or five kilos as too heavy. It does not follow the sounds of spring or try to nest in a spring garden. In other words, you don't always want the nice weather. You don't always care if life gives you enough or not enough. There's something vast that's beyond all measure, beyond enough or not enough, beyond spring weather or too hot or too cold. There's something transcendent of all that. It does not darken with the colors of autumn. See the changes of the seasons as all one movement. Understand light and heavy in relation, in relation to each other within a view which includes both. The great wholeness that includes everything. When you write or study the character vast or boundless, this is how you should understand its meaning. The great masters who were Tenzo through the ages have studied the meaning of vast or great, not only through the word for it, but through all the events and activities of their lives. All the events and activities of your life are vast and boundless. 
if you can see it as so. Thus they lived as a great shout of freedom through presenting the great matter, penetrating the great question, training great disciples, and in this way, bringing it all forth for us. And that includes you right there. Okay? Pretty clear. Recorded in the spring of the third year of the Kate era, 1237, as instruction for accomplished practitioners of the way in the future. And that means you and me. The Tenzo Kyoku. Any questions, guys? Some cooking tips? Many things is difficult to put into words. So I find it a very good reminder. It's more like a common. So I find it a very good reminder that people around us or situations around us that are difficult, that are not easy to solve, that they are meant to teach us to um, accept difficulties and to learn from it. Absolutely. That doesn't mean it's always an easy lesson. Absolutely. Okay. On that beautiful comment, shall we uh, have a short sit? Remembering that, as Dogen said, in vast mind, it's not a matter of long or short. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.